This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you want to be open to Luke chapter 13. We'll read verses 18 through 21. It's Luke 13, 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this privilege that it is this morning to gather together as your people to worship you. Because as we have already sung, you are a great and glorious God. You are the creator of everything. You are the creator of of the birds and the trees, the air, the sky, the water, all of these things that we can look at and see that you are majestic and wonderful and creative, a God who loves beauty and good things. And yet, because you've given us your word, we can know you more intimately. We can know you more closely. We can know your character, that you are a God who is holy and wise and good and perfect and who calls us to be holy. And we know that you are a God who uh, has made us holy as your people through your son, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And God, we thank you for that. That's the reason that we are here this morning, to celebrate what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. So God, I pray that you would, would shape us, that you would mold us, that you would enable us through your Holy Spirit to respond to your word, to respond to all that you are and all that you've done. Lord, fill us with joy, fill us with peace, fill us with all the fruit of the Spirit as your people. Lord, we thank you for this privilege that it is to be able to gather in a place where we can gather freely and boldly to worship you and to lift up the name of Christ. And I pray that you would increasingly make us that, uh, that light on a hill, that city on a hill as we proclaim the gospel here in this place and as we, as we leave these walls and we go out into the community and our unbelieving family members and neighbors and people we work with and go to school with, Lord, help us to be a people that is constantly having the name of Jesus on our lips, proclaiming the gospel, the good news to those around us. Lord, we're only here because you have chosen to save us. We're only here because you have brought us into this family. And we thank you for that and pray that you would bring more and more people into the body of Christ. Lord, though we are saved, though we belong to you, we still live in this world that is filled with darkness. We live in this world that is full of of strife and difficulty. And we have many needs that we need to bring to you. Uh, whether that's personally and individually as people struggle with, with sickness and, and, and death and illness and need comfort, I pray that you would give comfort to those who are walking through uh, various trials in their body. Lord, we think of, of Ruth Kerr and we thank you for her, uh, her life, her blessing, for the time that she was a member here. We know that your word says that uh, the death of your saints is precious in your sight. We know that 
though death is an enemy, uh, and it's not the way it's supposed to be, for those who are yours, it is not forever. Or we know that we will be raised again on the last day, and we look forward to that. And thank you for that blessed hope that we have. Or we know that there are many difficulties and struggles throughout the world as we've walked through this years of a, a pandemic and uh, now there's war going on around the world and, and even just over this last weekend the, uh, the shooting in Buffalo. We pray for those families who are affected by that and the people that were lost. God, it's such an awful thing that those kinds of things happen in this world and we know that it happens because of sin, because of the fall, because people need you. So I pray that even in this tragedy, in this difficult time, that you would surround those people, those families that were affected with, with your people. I pray that there would be gospel opportunities in the midst of that tragedy and that you would bring good from evil as only you can do. Lord, again, we thank you for this opportunity to gather under your word. I pray for Pastor Aaron as he preaches. I pray that his words would be uh, not more or less than you have for him to say. I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply the word to our hearts, that you would shape us, that you would mold us, that you would make us the people that you've called for us to be. And Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified in all that is said and done in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, First Prez. It is a privilege to be with you this morning and my hope is that as we look at our passage, you're each encouraged and strengthened in your own faith and walk with Christ. I bring before you a short few verses, verses 18, 19, 20, and 21, and yet these verses do not stand alone. I would draw your attention to verse 18 where we see the word, therefore. As many of you are aware from the old school days, when the word therefore is there, we ask, what's it there for? And it's connecting us to the preceding section. I remind you last week that we talked about the, the compassion of Christ. He sees, he calls, he touches, and he heals. And that's what we saw as he cared for this woman who for some 18 years was hunched over and struggling through life. And it's in the same context that Luke brings these two parables. Two parables that are about giving us kingdom perspective. The kingdom can, in its simplest definition, be defined this way. God's rule. God's reign. If this is different than God's sovereignty, in that God's rule and reign is everywhere, that is true. But specifically, when the Bible talks about kingdom... It's about the recognition of God's rule, of God's reign. The prophet Obadiah in chapter 1, verse 21 says, The kingdom shall be the Lord's. Notice that phrase, shall be. Meaning that every knee, every tongue would confess. Everyone would acknowledge King Jesus. There's a theologian by the name of Gehardus Voss. He's Dutch by birth, but served in the United States for many years at various institutions. But one of the things I would draw you to is what he says regarding the kingdom. He says that to Jehovah, the kingdom and his supremacy belong. 
What he goes on to say is that this means that every enemy will be judged and every member of the kingdom will be delivered and all praise will be given to Jesus. So friends, when we use the word kingdom in the Bible, when we talk about it in the community of faith, when we, when we work it out in our understanding, we need to understand that kingdom is more than the, that God is just sovereign. But that that sovereignty is bringing about every enemy's judgment, every member of the kingdom's deliverance, and ultimately, Jesus' praise. The book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, in chapter 11, verse 15, says this, that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Notice the specifics that are given there in the book of Revelation. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. Interesting enough, throughout history, many have claimed the kingdom work. They've incited God's name in their struggle. We think not back too far to the Middle Ages, and we realize that the Crusades were really focused on kingdom work, so they said. It was literal military campaigns under the banner of God's kingdom. Before we judge those who did this work, we need to only go back to our American history and discover the Civil War, where both the North and the South claimed that they were fighting on the Lord's side. If you want more information about that, I would recommend Mark Knoll's glorious book on the Civil War and a Theological Crisis. He goes into great detail talking about how both the North and the South claimed the name of Christ. Or how about more recently in world history, World War I. It was posed as the war to end all wars. Countries all over the world were warring under the Christian banner, claiming that they had God on their side. I use these illustrations to show how easy it is for us to misconstrue God's plan with our plan. How quickly we begin to evoke God on our side rather than keeping our allegiance to God and his kingdom. In our text, we see Jesus who has just healed a woman who was being afflicted by demonic measures. And in this, Jesus shows his power. And now in these few verses, 18 through 21, Jesus explains the extent of that power. Notice verse 18, he says, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? He says this again in verse 20, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Friends, understand that Jesus' purpose was to clearly give us the right perspective of his authority. Revealing this kingdom and its growth, we're given two examples, two parables side by side. This is not unique to Luke. Luke does this all over his gospel. 
He loves pairs. He loves to put things side by side. And we see them doing it here as we look at these parables of the mustard seed and of the leaven. What appears to be small, what appears to be unimportant, grows, takes over. There's a theologian by the name of A.B. Bruce, and he gives us two very key words describing what is taking place in Jesus' explanation of the kingdom, the extensiveness and the intensiveness of the growth. Of the, growth. the extensiveness and the intensiveness. Let's spend some time exploring what he means. Extensive is the idea of the kingdom's far-reaching. It's showing what the kingdom will be ultimately. A picture of what, in our understanding, is not fully yet. Something we look to, something we long for. Jesus offers the mustard seed, the tiniest seed, barely one millimeter in size. This small seed, we're told, a man threw in his garden. He threw it in his garden. And what happened was that a large bush, or as described in our text, a tree stood. Some commentators recite repeatedly that this tree was anywhere from 8 to 12 feet tall. Friends, the key is to notice the contrast from what is small what is large this bush we're told in our text acts as a place of safety it acts as a home for the birds who therefore determine to nest in it this is a picture of the kingdom and the nations Ezekiel chapter 17, Ezekiel chapter 31, Daniel chapter 4 all reference the birds of the air flocking in the tree of God's provision, of God's kingdom. Friends, the blessing of God's kingdom is a blessing to each and every one who nests in it. All the kingdoms of the world, not just Old Testament Israel, but clearly all people. We understand that as the church, the church gathering. Old Testament church, New Testament church, the people of God gathering in the provision of God's kingdom. And this kingdom is seen as a delight. This kingdom is seen as a blessing. And the birds want to nest in it. They want to be there in that blessing. Why? Well, Revelation 7-9 gives us a description of the immensity of of the birds that gather. Listen to what is decreed in Revelation 7, verse 9. After I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Notice this. They're clothed in white robes. Their sins have been forgiven. With palm branches in their hands, they're praising. They're crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and of the Lamb. Friends, don't miss that picture. The celebration, as Voss gave us the definition, the people of God have been delivered 
And Jesus is getting his praise. What a beautiful picture of what it's like to enjoy the kingdom in its full delight and its full blessing. We understand that this power, this, this power comes in what seems to be small. Yet it seems to grow into this large tree. We see in Scripture that the kingdom is inaugurated with a baby. The birth of Jesus, who came in the most humble of ways. The inauguration of the kingdom, of the king who would come, the, the fulfillment of all that was promised. And he would constantly point out that he was the son of God. He'd come to be the savior of sinners. He would go to the cross and he would die and yet death would not keep him down because he would be victorious and there would be a day when the kingdom would be consummated in fullness. Isn't that what we long for? Isn't that what we thirst for? But the kingdom isn't just extensive. The kingdom is intensive. It's thorough. It's complete. The kingdom grows. It's present now. It's working in amongst us. The example Jesus uses here is the picture of the leaven or the yeast. We're told that a woman added just a little yeast to a large amount of flour. By some estimates, it was nearly 60 pounds of flour. Yet this little bit of yeast seems so powerless to so much flour. Yet overnight, the yeast does its perfect work. The yeast, as it's kneaded into the dough to the, to the flour, begins to take over. And through the night, it continues to work till eventually, the next day, the power is shown as the dough rises. How many of us have experienced that? Remember as a little boy kneading dough with my mother. And wondering, what does all this work for? To, to see her put it in the pans and to wait and to wait and to wait, wondering, is it ever going to do anything? We didn't have to wait very long before you saw the result of that yeast. Friends, the kingdom of God does, in fact, come quietly. Yet after it has taken its root, you do see its effect. See, the Pharisees were asking Jesus when the kingdom would come. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus answers them. He says, the kingdom of not God is not coming in ways that you can observe. Nor will you say, look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's working in you. It's intensively working through you. The kingdom grows quietly, little by little. But as the kingdom spreads, we see its effects as lives are changed, as lights are transformed. One of the most beautiful things about being a pastor is seeing lives radically changed. But you know what's even sweeter than radically changed lives? Little lives that continue to grow up to be adult lives who are dedicated to the kingdom of God who surrender their lives to kingdom work, whether it's being missionaries or, or whether becoming pastors or whether just being faithful elders and deacons or Sunday school teachers. 
What a beautiful thing to see the transformational power that works in us, that we desire to do strange things by the world's standards. We dedicate our time. We get up early on Sunday mornings to go worship our Lord. We write checks to serve the kingdom of God. We dedicate time to care for our neighbor. The world looks and stares at us and says, what a waste. They don't see any of the effects. They don't understand the transformation of our hearts. Because see, understand, this transformation power is quiet, but it grows from within. It begins with a changed heart and slowly begins to work in and through each of us. Just like the leaven or the flour, or excuse me, or the yeast works into the flour as it's kneaded in. It works from the inside and makes its way out. Friends, understand that the leaven or the yeast cannot work when it's outside the dough. You can't put the jars side by side and expect them when the morning comes to have done anything. They must be mixed together. But as they're mixed together, understand that once the leaven or the yeast is inside, it will always manifest the power of transformation. Friends, understand this. There is power in the kingdom, and this should be encouraging to each and every one of us. The kingdom has power both extensively and intensively. Why is there so much encouragement? Well, because look at the day we live in. Many will say the church is shrinking. The church is falling apart. God has given up. The world is taking over. But we know different. We know who is in charge. So friends, I ask you this morning, how does the kingdom's extensiveness and the kingdom's intensiveness encourage you? Friends, I would remind you that the kingdom of promise has been seen all throughout Scripture. It's called at times the kingdom of God, which means the God who reigns. But it's also called the kingdom of heaven. And this phrase helps us to see the glory of the kingdom. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, hear this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. Friends, how beautiful that God's place of dwelling is with us. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Here's the benefits. He, he, his presence is with us. And because he is with us, listen to all the other things that come with it. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have all passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the promise of the kingdom. This is the benefit of the kingdom, the presence of God. And as we've already stated in the simplest of definitions, God rules. 
But God's rule is not just simply his sovereignty, but his supremacy, that his enemies will be judged, that his people will be delivered, and that all people will praise him. The journey begins from seemingless insignificant beginnings. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were first created, and everything looked rosy and perfect, and you thought, okay, this is cute. But you don't have to get very far into Genesis to discover the kingdom seems lost at the fall. And yet, in that same chapter of Genesis 3, which tells us of the fall, there's the glimmer of hope of one who would crush our enemies. And so we long for him. And again, we're reminded of the promise of a kingdom to Abraham in chapter 12 and 17 and 22 of Genesis. Or how about the promise to David that a king would come from his line in 2 Samuel 7? All seems to be moving along until there's a divided kingdom under Solomon. And eventually, that divided kingdom, we see exile both for Israel and Judah. Why? Because of their idolatry. Because of their unwillingness to worship God alone. Do you know that their idolatry wasn't just simply worshiping false pagan gods, but it was syncretism, fancy word to simply say they were taking the worship of God and mixing it with the worship of idols. They were, they were yeasting it. They were setting leaven in, but rather than being about the kingdom of God, they would rather be about the kingdom of the world. They would worship the god Molech who was a big stone statue with his hands out, and they would place their infants there to be consumed by fire. For what purpose? Saying that they had great faith, like Abraham, who offered Isaac, mixing the two, rather than being faithful to the true God. All seemed lost. There seemed to be hopelessness for 400 years. For God had been silent, but then we look and we see all of what the prophets had talked about. Jesus, from the line of David, takes center stage. And out of his words is a focus upon the kingdom that has come. And a kingdom that will come. He is the promised Messiah whom the prophets foretold. And that same Jesus lived a sinless life and went to a cross he did not deserve. Again, things seem lost, but just shortly, three days later on Easter Sunday, resurrection occurred, followed 40 days after by the ascension and his rule from on high. And in this, Jesus tells his disciples, You are my witnesses. Now, this wasn't the first time Jesus prepared the church for the kingdom that was. He told them back in Matthew 16 that the church would have the keys to the kingdom, that whatever they bind on earth would be bound in heaven, whatever they loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven, that the kingdom of heaven was existing in part here on earth now through his church, that the kingdom grows as the gospel goes forth. And as the lives are transformed. Friends, while the work of the church in this world is not always seen, and it's not always obvious, and at sometimes it may even seem utterly invisible, yet we're told by Jesus' short passage that the kingdom 
is powerful. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before his ascension, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. In fact, they were told in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell would not resist the kingdom of God. Friends, the kingdom would grow, the kingdom would spread, the kingdom would permeate through everything, just as the yeast. The kingdom would grow everywhere so that all nations would rest in it like a tree and the birds resting in their nets. Friends, this transformational power is not simple gospel witness, but also includes obedience. It affects both our worship and our witness because the gospel power transforms from within. Friends, do you see the kingdom transformation in your life? Do you know of the power of this kingdom? The revealing of this kingdom's power is significant. When Jesus was here on earth, he said to the crowds, Seek first the kingdom of God. Of all the things they could give their life to, of all the things they could give their attention to, of all the things they could worship, they were told to seek first the kingdom of God. Friends, don't miss this this morning. The kingdom is to be your priority. Priority means faithfulness. It means that we're faithful in our spiritual piety, our love for God. It means that we're faithful in our spiritual battling, putting to death sin. It means faithfulness in our mission as witnesses. We have kingdom responsibility. We are children of the kingdom. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. It is our honor to speak of the king and to make him known. It may not seem like much, but like yeast, the kingdom grows. And little by little, that seed is growing and others are nesting. Praise God. Be encouraged this morning. Growth is taking place because Christ himself, through his spirit, by his church, is growing his kingdom. Nothing in this world, not even the cruelest persecution or the most cunning attack of the evil one will be able to stop the kingdom's full development. Even a culture like our own cannot stop that kingdom come. So friends, I ask you, how are you seeking to put the kingdom first? Church, in light of all of this good news, I think the only thing we should say is to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful and encouraged this morning as we are instructed from your word regarding your kingdom. 
May we see its extensiveness as well as its intensiveness. May we understand that it should be our priority. May we see its significance throughout biblical history. And yet, Lord, may we never be so bold or so crass to drag you along to what we're doing, but rather may we submit to what you are doing. We pray that you would work in and through us this morning, that as your church, we would be your witnesses, that we would be thankful people singing the praises of a deliverance from the judgment we deserve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.